I said to you, we are looking at, we've started a series, and you can actually put it up there, uh, thank you. And I've entitled it The Last Sermon. Now remember, it's not my last sermon. Okay, don't get too excited. Um, this is the last sermon of Moses. And we look at the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy literally is a collection of three sermons that Moses preached. And just to give you a brief summary, remember last week we also we put this map up there. And he preached these, uh, these sermons to the children of Israel when they were in the plains of Moab. That pink area is in the plains of Moab. And literally it's east of the Jordan. The promised land is, is west of the Jordan. And they literally this side of the, of the Jordan River, they're ready to cross in. And he preached this, these three sermons, literally, in, in his, in his, when he was 120, it was his last year on this planet. And I think that's very significant, folks. I think, and, and I've often heard, you know, when, when, when you kind of sense it's time to go, I think life comes into a sharp focus. What's really important gets distilled out to you. I remember uh, Dr. James Dobson, a couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with something and, and the doctor said, family, come. And they came around his bed and fortunately he pulled through that, that medical uh, crisis. But he said in that moment, what became most important to him was the people that loved him and the people that he loved. And all his awards and achievements, and he had been a tennis champion, he said it meant nothing. What mattered most to him was the people that loved him and the people that he loved. And it's just, when you're in that season, I think things come into focus. You know, all the, the trivial. And so, remember, this is Moses' last year on the planet. And, and what's very significant to know, he's preaching to a generation that didn't go through, for example, the receiving of the law, remember, at Mount Horeb. They weren't there. And he's re-speaking to a new generation who are literally about to cross. And it's, he's speaking to a generation where their fathers did not want to cross into the promised land. And he's like, I have got to tune these oaks. I've got to speak faith into them. I've got to, I've got to make sure these guys have faith to actually cross this river and go into the promised land. Their fathers refused to do this. And so it's important that we just remember the context where this, and, and the context geographically, the context historically that these sermons are preached. And I want to remind you also that Deuteronomy is the book in the Old Testament that Jesus quoted mostly. When he faced his, his three temptations from Satan, he spoke Deuteronomy to Satan. And I want to say, maybe you go through some trial and temptation, and Deuteronomy is going to be the sword of the Spirit that's going to come to your aid as you speak the word in whatever uh, crisis you're facing. It was one of the big four books in the Old Testament, together with Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah, that is quoted most by the early church and in many of the New Testament writings. So it's a very significant book. And the next slide, Deuteronomy, it's a funny word. I mean, what does it mean? It actually comes from the Greek, and it means second law or repeated law. Why? Because Moses is restating um, basically everything the Lord had spoken to the children of Israel in the previous 40 years to a new generation, the Joshua generation. That's why it's called the second law, Deuteronomy. Now, just the context of it in the Bible, so it, it is the fifth of the fifth book in the Bible, number five, there it is. And they're the first five books of the Bible 
And just to know that, remember, the first five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch. Penta means five. Okay? And it's written by Moses, these first five books of the Bible. Now, for you to understand what Deuteronomy is about, I'm just um, highlighting this. Just click. What, what Moses is doing, he's giving a summary of everything that happened and was said and God said in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Because Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers is basically the story. It's the Exodus story. It's the journey from Egypt to literally the, 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 the edge of the Jordan River, about to cross the Promised Land. Those 40 years, that's what those three books are about. And now Moses, in these three sermons, is summarizing to them what happened in those three books. So it's always good. I want you to know your way around your Bible. And that's always so helpful. I always find it so helpful to understand where these things fit together. Okay, so now I said to you, so the, the basic... The basic story that Deuteronomy is covering is the Exodus story. This journey from Egypt, the land of bondage and slavery, into their promised land, the land of freedom, the land of promise. So it's the story of, in essence, it is the story of redemption, of being released, of being set free, of having a second chance. That's what it is. And that brought me to, just reminded me, um, I've been doing uh, the, the Leadership 215 course, the Every Nation Theological uh, sort of basic training course that I am also did uh, last two years. And one of the things they highlighted in the beginning of the Old Testament survey course was the meta-narrative of the Bible on the next slide. Meta-narrative. Okay, now you can impress some folks when they, they say, what did you learn at church? And say, well, we learned the meta-narrative of the Bible. Okay, well, what's a narrative? Narrative is a story. Meta is the big. It literally means the big story, but I've got a better definition. A meta-narrative is an overarching story that gives a comprehensive explanation to all the events in the universe. It is the story that explains all the other stories. And this is so important. There are many little stories in the Bible. It's important that you get the big picture of how it fits in the big picture. And the summary of that is the meta-narrative of the Bible. What is it? It is God's plan of redemption centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's plan of redemption. Redemption means to get a second chance, to be set free. They were redeemed. The children of Israel were redeemed from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. They're being set free from slavery. That is what redemption is about. And I, 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 I want to tell you my redemption story, okay? And if you've heard it, this gives you a great opportunity to say big fat amens, okay? The story, my, one of my favorite redemption stories is this. This little boy and his dad... Um, they, they buy a, a little kit to build a sailing ship. You know one of those old-fashioned sailing ships? And you buy it in kit form, and there's all the pieces, and it's numbered, and you've got to put it together and glue it together. And they had real fun, this father and son time, good bonding time, building this sailing ship. And then they decided they're going to take it down, you know, to the dam, Midmar Dam or Albert Falls Dam, I don't know which dam, and, you know, let it, let it go sailing. And they put it on, and it's going so beautifully. And suddenly there's a gust of wind, as can happen at Midmar. And it just takes this little boat, and it just goes off into the distance. And it's gone. The little boy's in tears. Oh, no. Oh, Dad is also so upset, etc. You know, they try and get a boat and go out on the dam. Look, they can't find it anywhere. A couple of weeks later, the dad happened to be going through Scottsville Mall, 
and there is, you know, the second-hand pawn shop over there. And he looks in the window, and there is his boat. It's exactly the same. And he goes inside, and he asks the guy, listen, how much is that boat? And, uh, and, and his, little, his little boy, he goes, calls his little boy, he says, come, come, is this the boat? The boy says, yes. And, and the dad says, come, and they go into the counter, and they go speak to the guy behind the counter, and they ask him, you know, how much is it? And the guy says, how much it is? Dad takes out, uh, out the money, and he pays for the boat, and he takes the boat, and he gives it to the little boy. And the dad says, whatever the boy's name is, he says, yeah, my son, now it is doubly yours. Now it is doubly yours. Why? Because the little boy and son, they made it. It was theirs because they were the creators of it. It got blown away. It got bought back. Now it's doubly theirs. And isn't that a story of what happened in our lives? We created by God. God made us good. But through sin and rebellion, etc., the winds of sin blew us away from God, separated us from God. But God made a plan. The price was His Son dying on the cross of Calvary. And God said, I will pay that price. He pays that price. He grabs us and He says, now you are doubly mine. Amen. The next time the devil comes and says, whose are you? I say, I'm doubly God's. Amen. He made me and He bought me with a price. Amen redemption that is the big meta narrative of the bible and we're just going to look at it um, in in the four main acts in god's story if you're if you're a drama person and i mentioned the four main acts you are like awake now okay hey rachel rachel's suddenly awake you know she was i don't know she was on you know probably instagram or something (laughs) she's awake what are the four main acts in god's story Okay, firstly, there's the story of creation in Genesis 1 to 2. The chapter, so there are two chapters on creation. Then there's the story of the fall from Genesis 3 to 11. And there are nine chapters on that. And oh man, you know, there one brother murders another brother. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, things are just going south. I mean, it's just a mess. But then redemption comes in. Genesis 12. One man, Abraham. God reveals, comes to him, gives him a promise of a promised land. And God, Abraham believes him. The Bible says, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. A seed of faith, a mustard seed of faith in one man started the redemption journey. And from Genesis 12 uh, all the way through the Old Testament, we see these pictures. Uh, Bible scholars talk about shadow Christology, showing that Jesus is coming. The plan of redemption, all the sacrifices that God gave them to in in the Old Testament, was all pointing towards the cross, pointing towards what Jesus would do. The, 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 the act of, of, of redemption at the cross that Jesus would do. And then, of course, New Testament reveals it right the way through to Revelation chapter 20. And that is 1,176 chapters on redemption. Aren't you excited about our passion? God is about redemption. I mean, look there. Okay, the fall was nine chapters. But 1,176 chapters on redemption. Folks, doesn't that just inspire you? Whatever situation you're going through, God is going to turn it around, can turn it around, wants to turn it around. Amen? He wants to give you a second chance. Amen? He wants to buy back, redeem the situation. Redeem, you can use that term in an accounting term. You can use it as, I buy something back, I redeem it. 
It's, it's, it can be used that way. He wants to turn your situation around. Amen. The Bible is a Bible of hope, of redemption, of God reaching in, of nothing's impossible for God. He wants to turn your situation around. Amen. And then finally, new creation. The last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, speaks about the new creation, speaks about a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible doesn't say much about it because we're living in this age of God wanting to redeem literally all nations. All nations. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. We are God's co-laborers with Christ to redeem people. Amen. To turn situations around. So it's a grand, beautiful plan. When we're making disciples, we are wanting to turn people's lives around. We're passionate about changing lives. Amen. And changed lives or redeemed lives brought back, turned back to God. It's just so beautiful. I just love being part of God's grand scheme. There we go. Okay. So you are meta-narrative fundies. Okay. So when he says, what's your job description? I'm a meta-narrative fundi. Okay. The meta-narrative is redemption. God's going to get you. He's going to get you back. Amen. He's going to get you back into your kingdom. He's going to love the hell out of you. Amen. Okay. There we go. You guys understand the meta-narrative. Okay. Here we go. Okay, I wasn't swearing. I was telling truth. It was truth. Okay? Okay. To the unsanctified mind. Okay? Don't think that was unsanctified. Okay. But what I'm excited about... Guys, you're going to love this. Revelation 21. The new heavens and the new earth. I don't know when last you read about it. I read about it again and I'm still excited about the, 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 the new heavens and the new earth. So the next slide. Revelation 21 verse 1 and 3. Just three verses. We're just going to look at this new heavens and earth story. Because it's good to keep the end in mind. Amen. We're on a journey. Where are we going to? So yeah. Then I saw, verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. This is talking about the church, folks. Jerusalem is a type of the church. Zion is a type of the church. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. By the way, we're the bride of Christ. We were wondering, this, this new Jerusalem coming down and the bride, it's the same thing. It's the church, the redeemed of the Lord. Amen, that's us. Coming down out of heaven from God. So when you die, you go to heaven. But then there's going to be a new heaven, earth thing. And we come back to the new earth. Amen. And, we, and what happens there, okay? Prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is it, what's it going to be like on this new earth that we're going to live? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Woo! Can we give the Lord a hand? Hallelujah. Amen. The big picture. We dwell with God. Amen. And I just, did you notice there that he calls the people of God his people? I just, did you notice that? I don't know. You know, somebody just goes ahead and, and puts bold and italics on those words. I don't know who did it. I don't know. Was it you guys? Anyway, I'm kidding. You know what I mean. Okay. It's just a name that God has for people that dwell with God. The end goal is that you and I dwell in amazing intimacy and closeness and relationship with God that is quite mind-blowing. Amen. His desire has always been from Genesis. It says in, in the book of Genesis that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. There was close intimacy. Then the fall came. They were separated. Sin separates us from God. And redemption is all getting us back to this amazing close walk with God that is quite mind-blowing. Intimacy, relationship. That when you're doing the dishes, when you're driving your car, when you're studying for exams, He's 
close to you, you're talking to Him, you're aware of His presence, amen. Intimacy has always been your destiny, amen. And there it says, God has always desired to be with you, amen. And you don't have to wait until one day that, you know, you come down from heaven, you know. It's going to be quite dramatic. I'm looking forward to it. The point is, his, the goal of redemption, of why Jesus came, is so that there could be nothing separating us from God. That you can be with Him and talk with Him and walk with Him as Adam walked with Him in the garden. Amen. That is the meta-narrative of the Bible. The end goal is intimacy with God. Is close relationship with God for everybody. Amen. Just, just nudge your hand, neighbor and say, this is for everybody. Amen? Please, folks, this is not just, you know, the people who sit in the front row. Get you all close with God, you know, and further back you go, you know, you're further from God. Please, no, this is for everybody. Amen? Okay, so next week we're going to see a few people sitting closer to the front. or next. That'll be exciting, hey? Okay. So that's the meta-narrative. But what I wanted to do, I was just thinking, you know, this, this metaphor of... Egypt to the promised land is, is very real. And so often, in, you know, David and so often in the rest of the Bible, Isaiah, they're referring back to the Exodus story. It's a mega, it's a mega, uh, what can I say, a picture of redemption that is constantly referred back to, even in the New Testament. But what does it look like for us? And I just, I had, it was amazing. I sat down, I, I don't maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, and I wrote down, I just wrote on my phone, on my little notepad on my phone, Google Keep Note. I just wrote down, we are, we are moving from something to something. From representing this place of bondage, this place of slavery, which Egypt was. Remember, they were, they were slaves in Egypt to this promised land. But... That's a physical picture, but what does it look like practically for us every day? And I wrote down some things, and I was surprised. And then I copied it into, into a PowerPoint last night, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is three pages. But I think you can do it, okay? Okay, you're concentrating now, okay? You're thinking, okay, let's concentrate. We're here, we're here. This is going to be good, okay? From and to. From slavery, slavery to the promised land. What is it? It is... From living as a slave to being a free person. From sickness and pain to health and life. From depression and stress to joy and peace. From fear and anxiety to faith and calmness. From a poverty mentality to knowing His faithful provision. From conflict and broken relationships to healthy, trusting, long-lasting relationships. From being far from God to walking in close, intimate relationship with Him. From being fearful of giants, because remember that was their story, to being confident in God of victory. On the next slide. From feeling rejected and ashamed to being loved and accepted. From having no purpose or passion in your life to being inspired by a sense of calling, purpose and passion. From being critical and negative to being hopeful and inspiring to others. Amen. From lonely and disconnected to belonging and celebrated. From not knowing who you are to having a strong sense of identity in Christ. 
From being tormented or oppressed to being delivered and at peace. From being judged and accused to be, being forgiven and released. From running and hiding from God to seeking and pursuing Him. From sleeplessness and exhaustion to being rested and refreshed. Next slide. From weak and lethargic to being strong and full of vitality. From prideful and arrogant to being humble and eager to serve others. From being selfish and self-centered to wanting to see others excel and living from, for the glory of God. From fearing eternity to knowing that heaven is your home. From being scared to pray for people to seeing miracles happen when you lay your hands on sick people. From being discontented and grumpy to learning to be content in all circumstances. From giving up easily to persevering through hardship. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Guys, this is the journey we are on. Now, I read, I didn't even count how many there are. There's three slides of them. They're probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 points I wrote down there. And you can write more. But I promise you, folks, as I was reading there, there were at least a couple of them that you could take and say, that's the journey I am on. I am on from that place to that place. Have you got a vision for the journey you're on? Have you got a vision that God... I am going to possess my promised land. The reality is, folks, there were a whole generation of people who said, I can't do it, don't want to do it, gave up on pursuing the promises of God. But there was the, Moses is speaking to a new generation. And I have the sense of, I'm speaking to a new generation of people who say, I'm going to believe the promise of God. I'm pressing in what my parents and my uncles and aunties couldn't press into. They didn't even see the promised land. I see a better place. I see a better future for myself. I see a better future for my children and my children's children. And I'm pressing into it. Amen. For some of you, it's, it's not even for you. It's the, for your children and your children's children. Amen. God has a grand vision for your life. Are you embracing it? Okay. So I said we're in Deuteronomy and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, right. When are we getting there? Okay. Deuteronomy is coming right now. So Deuteronomy, remember we looked last week, Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 5, where the Lord, where Moses is speaking and the first thing he speaks about is where God told them to leave Mount Horeb. And that's, remember, in Exodus' story, if chronologically, it's not where it started. He didn't start in Egypt and to retell the whole story. He's thinking, these people are about to cross this river. What do they need to hear right now? And he's reminding them that God told them they need to leave Horeb. And last week he looked at the things we need to leave behind so we can enter into our promised land. Amen. We're going to repeat that. It's on YouTube. It's on, it's on SoundCloud. You can go and look at it. But Deuteronomy 1 Verse 9, and my heart is this, I'm saying, Moses preached this to a generation that was about to enter a promised land. For all of us, if you said yes to any of those previous things, that's you. These things God's calling you to enter into. Amen? And, and I'm saying, if Moses spoke this to a generation that had to enter into a promised land, there's a reason. God, I'm going to dig down, and my heart has been, I'm going to dig down in these scriptures, and I'm going to say, God, why is this significant for us to know as people who need to pro press into our promised land? Okay? So Deuteronomy 1, verse, well, the verses over there. I just want to highlight, though, that I put Exodus 18 now. Um, this is where the story is uh, in, in the previous three chapters. So it's not sequential. Due to, he's, he's thinking, what do these people need to know to cross into the promised land? One of the things he says is, verse 9, At that time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. 
Choose some wise, understanding and respected men from each of your tribes and I will set them over you. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as tribal officials. So here, he's basically telling them to choose leaders. And this whole week, this scripture has really been on my heart. I've been saying, God, why is this important for me? Okay, for me personally, but I want to apply it to you. Why is it important that I have other people in my life? Why is it important that I have leaders in my life? Why is it important that I don't function alone? Firstly, look what verse 9. The time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. Folks, for you to fully enter the promised land, and I listed 30 or 40 reasons and places and spaces for you to enter the promised land. God never ordained that you entered into your promised land all by yourself. One of the biggest problems is you'll become so proud and arrogant, nobody will be, want to be around you, okay? God makes us interdependent on others, not dependent. Some people say, well, I'm independent, I want to be independent. Listen, independent people don't enter into their promised land. Lone rangers get taken out by the enemy. Look at just how wild, ferocious predator will go for the, 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 the animals that are not part of the herd. The enemy goes for the lonely, okay? Only the lonely get taken out. I'm sorry to say, you need people in your life. What does it look like for me? For example, Pastor Wayne, he's down in Durban, heads up the Every Nation Church. I probably call or message Pastor Wayne, I would say at least once every two weeks. I'll call him, I'll message him. I face numerous challenges in my life, in the responsibilities I carry, and I message him, calling him whenever I go through Durban, to Durban, to pick up a child from the airport who's flying back from Vosti or whatever. I will, we will go in and we'll chat, etc. We talk a lot. I need him in my life. Amen? I have, let me say, Pastor Roger, I don't call him for anything, but occasionally I will just send him a voice note and I will just like, hi, how are you doing, whatever. And he knows our family. I may say, I may say hey, you know, Heidi's home, uh, come home, she's a surprise visit, so good to see you, how are you doing? And within a day, he'll send me a voice note back. I'm staying connected with my leaders, amen. Pastor Steve Merrill, who heads up every nation. And I don't call him. I've, although I have his number, amen. I, I don't call him. I mean, if I see him, we greet. He knows who I am and vice versa. But this week, I'll tell you, this week I was just like, I'm, I need, I'm missing his input in my life. And he posts regular visit videos on YouTube. I'm sure you all subscribed. And I was just like, I'm feeling I want to hear Pastor Steve Merle speaking. And I found a video and, I, and it wasn't long. He, he, never, he never talks long. It was a 15, 20 minute video. And it was just what I needed to hear. I need. And this speaks about, you know, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and tribal officials. Folks, we need people in our lives that can give different input into our lives. Why? So that you can enter your promised land. Amen? And look what Moses says. What do these people look like? Choose some wise, understanding, and respected Wise, understanding, and respected. Those are the qualifications, the kind of people you and I need in our lives. Amen? But I want to ask you, where are you going to find those people? Are you going to find them at the nightclub on Friday night? Wise, uh, understanding, and respected people. I don't think so. But I, I want to submit to you, and I pray that when you come to church, you find people like that. 
wise, understanding, and respected. Hey, I can't be a friend to everybody and nor can my wife. Amen. But we're a community of people. You need a community of people around you who can speak wise words into your life. Who will be understanding. Firstly, they'll understand you. But the, uh, they will also understand the situation you're facing, etc. Not just judgmental and critical and, you know. And finally, respected. Somebody who is respected, okay? That means that other people in the community also look up to that person. And as a respected person, has credibility because they've walked this walk for a while. Amen. Respect in many cases is mostly earned, not just given. Yes, you need to give. Honor is given, but it's also earned. Respect is something that is earned because this person has walked with God for a couple of years. Amen. They've, they've got a couple of ranks from the University of Life. Amen. They're not just a normal troop. Okay. They're a sergeant major now. They've been through some stuff. They've been promoted. Amen. They have respect. We need people like that in our lives. Amen. And it's, it's, that's the beauty of community. Amen? So that's what I felt the Lord wanted to bring from that section. The next section I want to look at is the last section. Now, it's from Deuteronomy 1 verse 19. And in this section, Moses is now retelling the story of the 12 spies. Now, the 12 spies story is one of those stories, you know, honestly, I, I was reading Deuteronomy and I forgot what was coming next. And I was like, the 12 spies, I was like, oh, not the 12 spies. Now, why? Because it's kind of a wipeout story. You know, these oaks, the, you know, Moses, they send 12 in to check out the land. 10 say, we can't do it. 2 say, yes. The whole nation decides, we can't. And God says, okay, you can't. Then you'll walk around the desert for 40 years. It's a wipeout story. How many of you love wipeout stories? Now, I do think there was redemption in this. And, and, and why do I say that? Because if they had tried to go into the promised land, they didn't have faith. Folks, they had to face major battles. Folks, if you go into battle and you're carrying a sword, and there's a whole bunch of, you know, big hairy Philistines with swords as well, and you have no heart for fight, you're going to get killed right there. I actually think it was God's divine redemptive act that he said, I, I cannot send you into this land because you don't have faith to, to fight the battles that you need to fight. And so, and so God says, okay, you won't go in. And they walked around, they died a natural death in the desert. But here's a new generation standing. And I'm telling you, Moses is telling this story because he doesn't want the same thing to happen again. He doesn't want these guys to chicken out and saying, no, we're not going into the promised land. And so he is he's talking. Now, what I'm going to do here, it's actually quite a few verses um, but fortunately, Lusanda is on the ball, okay? And I'm just going to read the story. I want you to get a whole picture. Now, remember, this is Moses restating the story. It's also found in Numbers 13 and 14. That's where the full detail of who said what. It's like a summarized version because Moses is preaching. He's giving a summarized version. And then we're going to talk about it and see what we can learn. What is important for you and I as we stand east of the Jordan about to cross our promised land that we can learn from this story. Amen? So let's just read it and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb. Remember, we looked at that. He's repeating that. That's where God gave the law. And went towards the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. You know, the vast and dreadful desert. Folks, I just want to remind you. They're, they're in God's will. God is leading them. But some of the stuff they went through was vast and dreadful. 
I'm here and say, I thought, you know, serving God will just be, you know, moonshine and roses. I mean, I'm here saying, oh my goodness, I've been through some vast and dreadful things in my following God. But I'm still here. I'm still serving God, etc. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go through that again. I was not out of God's will. God did so much in my life to going through that vast and dreadful wilderness. I'm glad you got me through. I'm still standing. I'm still serving God. Amen. I'm glad we got through that. Amen. So some of you are so like, oh, I'm in such a bad place. No, no, no. You could be on track on your way to the promised land, just sometimes we go through some really hot, dry places with some angry people around us, speaking about all these tribes that wanted to attack them and try to attack them on their route there. Okay. Then I said to you, um, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See the Lord your God has given you this land. Go up And take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Remember, Moses said that so many times to Joshua because why? He was afraid and discouraged. So he says, don't be afraid. Be encouraged. I mean, full of courage. So so Moses says, go take it. Go, conquer it. God has given it. You go. Then, verse 22, next slide. Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. Verse 23, the ideas seem good to me, Moses says. Folks, sometimes good ideas are not God ideas. There's no indication that this idea to go spy out the land was was God's idea. If you go read in in, in Numbers, the only thing that God said was, if you're going to go, take one man from each tribe. And, and I was just reading a commentary about it. I'm sure he said that so they wouldn't just send a bunch of um, negative people in that, so that 12 people didn't come back with a bad report. At least two came back with a good report. Okay? God didn't tell them to go and he just said, make sure you take one man from each tribe. That's all he said. But the idea to go scout, they were just meant to go conquer. They were not meant to go scout. And folks, sometimes it is so important to discern, is this a good idea or a God idea? And sometimes good ideas can be cloaked in, and I I say this with, let me say with, sometimes it can be like wisdom. That's the wise thing to do. But sometimes it's cloaked in wisdom, but it's actually fear. You make it sound like this is such a clever idea to do this. But it's actually just hiding your fear and the fact that you actually don't have faith to do what God has called you to do. And so this, the idea seemed good to me. And sometimes we just got to say no to no to good ideas. I have just recently in some area of my life, I just, I just said to Jen, and, and you know, sometimes you can discuss a particular option from both sides and you can have 10 reasons why you should go this route and 10 reasons why you shouldn't. And you know, you're in this realm of reasoning and everything and you can wisdom either way, but it's, when there's faith in your heart, when you have a sense of God is saying this way, well then, you know, it doesn't matter that they tend that side and tend this side. I really feel God must go this way, okay? I'm not saying don't discount wise people and wise counsel. There are times wise counsel is from God. But in this case, there's no indication that this was God telling them. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. Verse 24, they left, went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land. 
and that the Lord our God is given that the Lord our God has given us. So all twelve spies when they came in, they all said it's good. They raved about the fruit, etc. There was agreement on that. But let's read on. Okay, verse twenty-six. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Look, look at this. It's like oh, they were unwilling. You know how God sees it? You were rebelling against God. Now, re- rebellion is a big thing. That is the essence of what, what uh, Lucifer did in heaven. He rebelled against God. I mean, this is, you know, we kind of say, oh, no, I didn't feel like it. God says, it's rebellion. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> excuse me, Lord, uh, that's a bit harsh. Can't you be a bit more politically correct? I didn't feel like it, Lord. No, you were rebelling. Oh, Lord, say it nicely. Okay, I hear you, Lord. Okay, let's go. Okay, sometimes we try and make things just sound nice, and God says, no, you're just rebelling. It really is the essence of what sin is. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled. The the second thing is they grumbled. Okay, grumbling. Folks, you must see how God got angry. If you read the Bible and you just go look at how they grumbled someplace, they murmured. Murmuring is negative speaking. You know, you know what murmuring is? You know, you know, did you see you know, the color of Ones face mask that she wore at church this way? Did you see? It didn't go with a dress at all. How could Oni wear a face mask as a man? You know, has she got no sense of taste? You know, I mean, that girl, she says she's spiritual and she wears a face mask that doesn't go with a dress. Now, I'm using a silly example, okay? But folks... That happens all the time. You're murmuring, you're grumbling against a woman of God. Amen? Just get your, your dirty mouth off her face mask, okay? It's her face mask, okay? I'm using a silly example because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But murmuring and grumbling is a big thing, amen? It's a big thing. And said, listen to this. You grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. Wow, that's strong, hey? That is strong. Folks, would you say that's a lie? That's a classic lie from the enemy. They believe God hates them. That's so strong. That is so strong. The Lord hates us, so He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Verse 28. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. Oh my goodness. Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. Have you ever seen walls up to the sky? I mean, even in Babylon, uh, Babel, they try to build a tower to the sky. What an exaggeration. What lies. We even saw the Anakites there. Now, the Anakites were, were known as giants. Okay, They were big people, um, but to the Israelites, these were mega, you know, up to the sky kind of people. Deuteronomy uh, verse, uh, verse 29. Let's read on. Then I said to you, Moses saying, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you. Oh, guys. You know, there are a number of places in Scripture where it speaks about God fighting for you. We were speaking this morning and doing prayer. Gus was leading pre-service prayer. And Gus had such a strong sense of, let's give thanks to the Lord for Friday. We prayed on a Thursday. Remember Thursday? We pray 5.30 every week. And we prayed on Thursday. Cus particularly said, pray against the proposed lockdown, shutdown, whatever violence that was predicted to come on Friday. There was none of it. Praise God. Well, there was a little bit in Durban, but the security services were onto it. They tear the guys and everything, and they sorted it out. But praise God. Cus said, we so often... Pray, but we don't give time to th- uh, give thanks. And I was, I was just thinking, and I've been so aware of how often 
when we get to heaven, we're going to see the times God fought for us. What, what does it look like? I, for example, am so aware when you're driving on roads in South Africa and you're driving at high speed, folks, there's so many things can go, that can go wrong. I wonder how many spiritual battles there are where there's a demonic spirit that's trying to whatever on the road and there are angelic hosts who come and stand in the way and there's a spiritual battle right in there and you're driving along, you know, listening to me. He loves me, yeah. And there's a spiritual battle going on right over here where God's fighting for you because there's some demons trying to tell some nana driving some truck to just swerve left and the angel gang says, there's no way you're telling him to do that over there and, you're and there's a massive spiritual fight. I, I, we will see. I, I may be wrong. I don't know what this fighting looks like, but God fights for us. Amen. I'm looking forward to seeing those fights. Amen. There may be some fights this, this afternoon after church, you know, when people want to talk about Orne's master doesn't match, and the angel is say, You're not going to say that. And the devil's coming to say, Oh, and you're right. God could be fighting for you in that way. Amen. amen. And Orne says, Amen, Pastor. Preach it. Amen. <laughs> And next week you're going to see One coming with such a color-coded outfit. <laughs> okay. okay, where were we? How did we get on to masks? Okay, God's fighting for us. Amen. As He did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes and in the desert. Remember the, the, the ten plagues? It's God fighting for them. And God uh, just, you know, the, the Red Sea closing. I mean, God was fighting for them. And in the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. Oh, guys, what a beautiful picture. The Lord carried you as the father carries his son. Folks, you know the Footprints poem? You know the story of Footprints? About this guy, he had a vision of footprints on, the, on, the, on a beach. And in the vision, he saw that when he went through the toughest times of his life, there was only one set of footprints. But in other times, there were two sets of footprints. And he got really cross with God. And he went to God and he said, God, how come that when I went through the toughest times of my life, you left me and allowed me to walk all alone? And God said to him, my son, in the toughest times when you saw one set of footprints, it wasn't your footprints you were seeing. It was my footprints because I was carrying you. I was carrying you through that. Through that dreadful and terrible land, that terrible place that you had to go through. He's carrying you. That's Bible. Moses is saying, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. Folks, there are times that I just need to be carried by the Lord. Let me tell you, there, there are times where it's not that whatever, it's bedtime or whatever. There are times that I literally, I just feel, I want to be with the Lord, but I actually want, I want to be covered and I will sometimes, like if I'm in the lounge and I'm praying, I will kneel at the couch and I'll take a cushion, I'll cover, I'll cover me. And it's a picture of, Lord, I just want to be hidden in you. You know Psalm, uh, Psalm 91 about hiding in, 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 in the rock and being covered by him, etc. There are times I just, I literally do that prophetic act of covering myself, covering my head, just saying, God, I want to be covered by you. Have you sensed the Lord carrying you? I've so often in my life, there have been times in my life where I've literally like, I, it's not just that I look back and I, I don't know how I made through that. There have been times in my life where I have been like, I don't know how I am actually carrying on. I don't know how I'm finding the virtue to keep going. But yet I do. I've been like, why? Because he's carrying me. 
He's carrying me. He carries you, folks. They think God hates them. But he's saying, he's carrying you. What? What a contrasting picture. All the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. Oh, Lord, that is, those are sad words. Who went ahead of you on your journey. Some of you need to know that God is carrying you. Some of you need to know He's ahead of you. Amen? But remember, that's the essence of a calling. Why do we say God calls us? Because He's ahead of us. He's gone ahead. He's there. He's calling you because He's ahead of you. Amen? On your journey, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Folks, many of us remember when the Lord called Abraham to a place that he didn't know. And Abraham said, I come, he didn't know where. Folks, how many of you, he says here, the cloud, to search out places for you to camp. Folks, that speaks about places you're going to stay. Many of you like, I'm here right now in Peter Marisburg this year, but I don't know where I'll be next year. Folks, the Lord is out there sorting out a camp for you, sorting out a flat for you, sorting out a room, sorting out a house for you. He's ahead. He goes ahead and prepares for us, ahead of us. Amen. And to show you the way to go. He prepares a place. He calls you there. And He leads you to the place He's got for you. Amen. It's just so beautiful. I just love how Moses is ministering to these people. He's preaching. He's nailing lies. He says, remember, you believe that God hates you. Look at this. How can you say, just remember how He's for you. Verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, He was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I saw to give his forefathers, except Caleb, son of Jephna. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. It says time and time again about, about Caleb, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. What's a wholehearted? That means that you are passionate, by the way, passionate for God, passionate for Him, amen, is wholehearted. There's not, your heart isn't divided, you know, you kind of are passionate also about whatever. It's like I'm passionate for God. Now, verse 37. I'm going to read this because uh, these last few verses, they are verses that I'm like, ooh, should I read? But it's in the Bible and it's just sobering. I'm not going to finish with this. Don't worry. We're not going to crash dive the sermon, okay? But there are some things in the Bible that is just like, you know, you just need to be slapped awake and know there are consequences that are not always nice in life. Amen? There are some times that we smash up for a number of reasons. God can turn it around, but we can't blame God all the time for absolutely everything. Okay. Um, I'm going to read on. Verse 37, because of the Lord, because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter it either. But your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. He's saying, turn around, go back to the Red Sea. But he's speaking here about the little ones. Those little, because remember, that was the reason they said we can't go into this land because we worried about the little ones. And God says, those are the very little ones that are actually going to enter the promised land. Folks, 
You see, God is a multi-generational God. God doesn't just call you. I mean, when people are all about me, myself, and I, He's not about you. He's about you and your spiritual descendants and your physical descendants. And if you don't have faith to enter the land, your kids would. It could be the little babies that are in the, in the mom's room there. The things, the promises given you, you don't have faith for it, but God's going to ignite those promises and then they're going to enter the promised land. But how about we do it together, amen? With our sons and our spiritual daughters and etc. We enter the land together. This is redemption. Can you see redemption? The meta-narrative of the Bible. God's saying, okay, you don't want to go in? I'll make a plan. These young people are going to enter. And we know the story. Joshua led them into the promised land. They conquered the land, etc. Today, Israel is there as a stark reminder of God being faithful to His promises. But then it goes on. Okay, this is some crash and burn stuff here. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons thinking it's easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, as Moses talking, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. I will not be with you. Folks, where do you want to go in life without God? What about, imagine somebody coming to you. Don't do that. God's not going to be with you. What will you do? I hope you run in the opposite direction. Say, I'm going back to the Red Sea. I don't care. I'm not going there. Okay? Not these oaks. Moses says, you will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. Oh my goodness, they would not listen. Folks, stubborn rebellion. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. You know the Bible says arrogance, pride comes before a fall. You want to know why this happened? They were arrogant. Look what happened. 44, the Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Ahoma. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed at Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Folks, there's sometimes consequences to our stubbornness, our arrogance, our rebellion. Just suck it up sometimes, okay? We know God redeemed the situation, but there was time he left them, I believe, just to... To repent of their arrogance and their rebellion. Sometimes God just allows you to just discover, you know, come to yourself. Come to your senses. That's literally what happened. They need to come to your senses. Now, I want to do this. I want to go back and I'm picking up, literally, it's four or five verses from Numbers. Because that's where the original story happened. And there's some keys. I, was, I read this story and I was like, oh, we can't finish here where they're all beaten up and being chased like a swarm of flies or bees or whatever. This is not a good end, Okay. And I said, let's go back to Numbers. And it says in Numbers 13, verse 30, but Caleb, so this is when they came back. I want to contrast what Caleb said and what the other 10 guys said. Remember Caleb and Joshua, they were the two who believed God. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able Folks, you so often will get two voices. The voice of faith and the voice of fear. And sometimes it's not people. They're inside of you. There's a voice of faith and there's a voice of fear. Can you discern the difference? The consequences of going with fear are you're heading back to the Red Sea. Okay, the back to Egypt. The consequence of hearing the voice of faith, you're heading to the promised land. So these, these other ten spies said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Verse 32, So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. A bad report, folks. We've got to close our ears to bad reports. 
Whose report will you believe? Of the, a bad report of the land and all the people that we saw in it of great height. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed to them. Look at what fear results in their own identity. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. Tiny little insects compared to these giants. That's what fear does to you. It doesn't just destroy your promised land. It destroys your identity. And I want to submit to you that's maybe the greatest destruction that can happen. Your own sense of worth and value and, uh, is destroyed inside of you, folks. Therefore, you can't take on giants in the land. But look at verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 9. Moses said to them, Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Moses speaking to him. This was when, when they spoke this. Their protection is removed. That was that just in the prayer this morning. I was, if Moses is discerning their protection is removed, then surely your protection can also be in place. Divine protection. When we say God fights for you, divine protection is your protection in place. If you are believing God and you're moving towards your promised land, amen, you have divine protection in place. It says, their protection is removed from them, and this is the key, and the Lord is with us, do not fear them. The Lord is with us, do not fear them. Folks, that was the deal breaker. I was reading, I was specifically reading, the, the ten spies who came with a bad report, they didn't mention God once in all of it. They were totally God-devoid in their conversations. They, the God factor was gone in their life. And folks, you remove the God factor in your life? Yes, you cannot in your own strength take your promised land, take pro, uh, you know, enter into this new thing. You can't. We have to have a God is with us factor. You have to know God is with you. He's for you. That is the deal breaker. Why was Caleb so full of faith? Because God is with me. We can take it. These other guys, folks, in the natural, they actually agreed Caleb and Joshua didn't say those guys aren't big or their cities aren't fought. They didn't deny. They didn't say the walls are to the roof, etc. They recognized. But it was like, but God is with us. And they, protect, they don't actually have divine protection. So, of course we can do it. Folks, the God factor is the difference in this whole story. Two groups of people. One doesn't see God, just sees the problems. Other group, they see the problems, but they see God, and it's like, problem, God. Problem, God. We can do it. Let's go. The key is, the Lord is with us. Therefore, we do not fear them. And verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully or wholeheartedly, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. His descendants, folks, some of you, it's not about you. You breaking through into dealing with fear in your life is not about you, it's about your descendants. It's about the fruit of your womb, from your loins. There are, there are descendants inside of you, young people. You don't know them, but you haven't even met, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Wright yet. you like, but there are children inside of you that are going to come forth. You have got to conquer some fears 
some depression, some stuff in your life so that your children can walk in victory. Amen? Some sleeplessness, some medical things. Some of you have a hereditary medical thing. You've got to break it so your kid doesn't suffer with that same thing. Amen? I will bring him to the land which, uh, into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. He has a different spirit and followed me fully. Can I pray for you? I want to pray that we would have a different spirit and follow God fully that we may enter our promised land. The key is that you know that the Lord is with you. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. Lord God, Lord, the promise, the call to enter into the promised land, Lord, is, is out there, God. Lord, I'm hearing and seeing the many giants that, that Lord, you're calling us to conquer. Lord, we see them. Lord, we are not in denial that we face challenges. We are not in denial that things are not going well, not always that easy. God, we see the giants, but we see the promised land as well, Father. We see the promised land, and God, the deal breaker is God with us. God with us, God. So therefore, a giant next to you, Lord, how can we compare? How can we fear God? And God, I pray for us, Lord, that we would have a different spirit, Lord. A different spirit and a heart that is wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly for you, Lord. I want to ask, can, can we pray? Can we just pray these prayers? I'm going to just lead us in a, in a prayer. Just, just pray. After me, just pray. Say, Lord God, give me a different spirit. Just like Caleb. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. Just like Caleb. Because Lord, you are with me. You are my protector. You fight for me. And so I will cross the promised land, Lord. And I will fight the battles. Not by myself. But with you, Lord. With the people, Lord. You've given me. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www that his people pmb.co.za and for more of our messages visit our youtube and soundcloud channels as well as other podcast platforms if you would like to contact us please email us at his people pmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877 to join us for in-person services Visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.